So as I was preparing for this, I was a little overwhelmed because when we talk about worship, it is pervasive in its scope. And it is massive. And it's, it's, the reason I say it's overwhelming is because like, there's so much I could cover. And there is, how, do you, how do you even begin to unfold what the entirety of the scripture is about? So we're going to go through all 60 bo six books of the Bible this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I, I, I um, Pastor Jack Hayford, who was the founder of the seminary, went to, wrote a book called Worship His Majesty. And um, I'll reference that a, a little bit. Um, he passed away on January 8th of this year and lived a full life of great impact, impact in my life, and w was a mentor to me in a sense because of his influence in my life. And, um, but one of the things he shared, and, and I'll just share this with you, because I think this is important to understand, that do you understand that worship isn't just for God? It's also for us in the sense that when we worship, we were created to do so. So when we worship, we experience the fullness of what he intended for us to enjoy. So it is, it's, it is an exchange. It is a, a communion with Christ in worship. And, and so, yes, it's for him because we're offering our lives to him. We're, we're expressing his worth. We're expressing his, his beauty and we're also engaging our hearts with him out of adoration, right? And so Pastor Jack was, was um, at Life Bible College. He was a, a professor, and he had to teach a class on worship. And somebody invited him, and he thought, like, the, prof the, the, the dean of the students said, well, we want you to teach this class because there's no one else who can do it. And he's like, well, that's really special that, that I'm the only one that can teach this. And then the, the, the dean said, well, it's because no one else's schedule would work. <laughs> and he's like, oh, so out of no other reason than it's just um, I'm the only one available to, to teach the class, not because I was appointed because of me. So <laughs> but he shared this as he explored this question with the students. He was asking, he, they were, ex the, whole, the whole course was on worship. And they explored together the meaning of worship, and he, he, he wrote this. A worship service, we call, you know, gathering together a worship service, right? A worship service is convened to serve God with our praise and to serve people's need with his sufficiency. Can, let me read that one more time. So we gather to serve God with our praise and to serve people's need with his sufficiency. So in our worship, we're inviting us to extend our hearts to him and to receive from him what he only can provide, which is everything found in his presence, right? So it is that exchange. It's not one or the other. It's both, right? And then it goes on to say, could it be that God calls people together to worship him and not to cause inconvenience, could it be that he calls us together, not because worship can't be done in private, but because we are created with so much potential for fulfillment when we come together in the spirit of his love. Isn't that beautiful? So as I was reflecting on this, could I grab a Kleenex somewhere? There's some under you, John. Throw it to me, pass, touchdown. 
Thanks. So if we, if we even think about, um, there's this thing called the Westminster Catechism, and it states the chief end of man, maybe you've heard this before, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him, enjoy him forever. That was what we were created for, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what eternity, that is what eternity in our hearts now is all about. And it even says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to glorify God. And like th this, there are times in our life where we'll be tempted to complain, right? You ever have that problem? <laughs> like, like I still, you know, I've been at BCC for 14 years and I still clean the toilets here on occasion, not every week. And so if you see they're a little dirty, you can complain to me. <laughs> I'll answer to you. But I often reference that not, not because I'm wanting your uh, sympathy for the pastor cleans the toilets, but because anything we can do to serve others and to serve God with a heart of gratitude and an attitude of thanksgiving to him can be worship. And there's something about a heart that extends to him with gratitude that disseminates complaining. It's hard to, to, to do something with thankfulness. You can't complain and be thankful at the same time. It's, it's a choice, right? And that doesn't mean we should never complain. I'm not saying that. I am saying that the antidote to complaining is thanksgiving. And we're invited into having a heart attitude of worship towards him continually in every realm, every sector of life. And so I've noticed, I've had to, to check my own heart. There are times like that I recognize that I'm not doing something with a heart of gratitude and I'm complaining and it's a good place for me to, to inspect like, God, am I yielding this area to you? Because ultimately, worship is about surrender. If I come into worship with the same amount of control in my life over what I want to cling to as I do when I leave, have I really worshipped? Because worship requires a release of control. Like, God, you're in charge. I'm yielding these, my whole life to you. Because you're the one who can best oversee my life. And so to trust you with my whole life requires that I yield, I surrender. And there's release in that. Isn't it wonderful when you can put your hands off of something and say, God, it's yours? And when we do that, then the mantle of responsibility is on his shoulders. Like even giving this message now, it's a wonderful place of release internally for me to say, God, I, it's not based on my articulation and study and that people's hearts are going to be moved. It's because the Holy Spirit's present and he works in the hearts of people. Amen. And if that's the case, then I can have the release to trust him with that. Amen. And that, I love, like even Alicia, I love Sister Alicia. Like um, that she came up here and did something that's out of her comfort zone and, and, and led us in mid-service. 
Every time somebody has an intersection with something that's new and outside their comfort zone, I welcome that because it's an opportunity to say, God, I need you. You got to do this. I can't do it. And that's a great place to be. It's a place we need to come to continually. We're like, God, I can't do this. I need you. And there's a release in that because we're saying, we're inviting God with his eternal resources to meet us in the place of our need. And we get to give him the praise on the other side of it that you see you're faithful. You carried me that, through that in something that was bigger than me and I didn't think I could do it. But you showed up and you showed out and you showed that you're faithful to meet me in the point where I, I recognize I need you. So I'm, I'm setting you all up for the scripture we're going to look at. And one of the things that I just found tremendously, just worship is not static. It's dynamic. Even the language in scripture in the Hebrew and the Greek testify so. I mean, like when I looked at the Hebrew, there are like minimally seven different words for worship. And I'll, I'm not going to go into all of them, but I'll just highlight them just to give you an idea of just the robust uh, depth and breadth and width of just how pervasive worship is and, and the expression of it. So there's a word, a shakah, that the primary Hebrew word for worship. And like we see... Uh, you know, you, some of these you may be familiar, like halal, which where we get hallelujah. That word is universal. You, you know, you can say hallelujah in any language and, and yeah. And, and this, the, the definition in the Hebrew word for halal is an exuberant praise, glory, thanksgiving, even expresses shining. Is there's this, just this shining. Like, and then there's a word yada, to extend the hand, like, when we think about worship, it's not relegated to a certain form. Like, it's appropriate to kneel. It's appropriate to raise hands. It's appropriate to shout. It's appropriate to pray. It's appropriate to lay prostrate. There is, and we see all of these in Scripture. So they're all biblical expressions of worship, right? So there's this, there's this depth and breadth to worship that it's not relegated to it has to look this way or it has to look that way. There's this freedom, and one of our, our values as a church is to be free in Christ. So worship is expressive. I mean, there should be different ways in which we express our heart to God, right? And all of them are appropriate. I mean, one of the words, tehillah, it means a song of praise. Um, another one, they actually say, proskunio, I can't even say it. But each of these have different attributes of our um, expressions of worship. There's another one that is tauda, which is thanksgiving and adoration. You'd find that in like Psalm 50. Another one is shabak, which is you know, you may have heard Shabbat Shalom, blessing on the Sabbath. You know, Shabbat is to shout praise, loud exaltation. Somebody even called it a holy roar. You know, so we see all these different, and in the New Testament, there are at least minimally three 
expressions of, of worship. There's proscunio, which is to show homage by kneeling or prostrate. Uh, Latreo, which is to serve. So actually serving is a form of worship. Like when we do something, like when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was doing a, a, a service to them and he was honoring them, right? When we serve one another, we're worshiping unto God. So, in as much I love and serve my brother or my sister, I'm expressing worship to God. Because they're, made, they're image bearers. They are bearing the image of God, and so I'm honoring his creation by serving his creation, right? So we see all these ways in which worship is unfolded and is so rich in its format. So what I want to look at is specifically is John 4. Now this is a passage of scripture that you're probably very familiar with. It's one of my favorite stories is the woman at the well. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but just to give you a synopsis, you know, here Jesus alone, his disciples were off and he comes up to a woman midday, what would be like the warmest part of the day. So the heat of the day. And that's many said, well, because like at a well, why would she be alone at a well? Because isn't that a place, a communal place where many people would come? Well, those who, because of who she was, she was alone. And she was coming at the heat of the day, the highest heat of the day. And Jesus meets her here at the well, right? And Jesus is breaking all kinds of cultural, you know, paradigms. One, he's talking to a woman. Two, he's talking to a Samaritan. You know, there were Jews that would literally go around Samaria to avoid having to interact with any Samaritans. That's how, how much there was a divide between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And they would actually call Samaritans a half-breed. It was like a demeaning thing that you're less than. And here Jesus is saying, I'm going to blow that out of the water. I'm going to talk to a woman at the well who's a Samaritan and, and show her personal care. Engage her in a personal way. I believe that when the woman looked at Jesus in the eyes, he, she experienced what true compassion true empathy, true uh, love looks like that she had never encountered in her life before. And have you ever been with somebody that you know you have their full attention? And, and how life-giving that is, that they care about you, they're, they're there for you, they're present to you, they're listening in a way that shows that you're, you, you're, you're caring about my heart right now. That's what Jesus was doing to this woman at the well, was caring for her. And so, we'll read here. This is the New Living Translation, and we'll look at this. It says, so this is a little later in the story, because I wanted to capture this, this portion of it. It says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, because this is just after she had said, you know, why don't you go grab your husband? And he's like, well, and then you have multiple husbands, you've had many husbands, and, you know, and... And so, because she, she goes back to her people and says, this dude told me everything about me. It's like, how did he know this stuff? He must be a prophet. So that's why she's saying this. So 
Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at the Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman. Now, even the way she addresses her shows this. I mean, you don't just call anybody dear woman. It's a term of affection of care for someone. Dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Isn't that beautiful? But here's this invitation into that worship isn't limited to a location or a space. We can't minimize what Jesus was, the gravity of what Jesus is saying here in terms of how pervasive worship is. So I titled the message, The Priority of Worship. Worship is, if, if I were to summarize it, is God is everything. And he deserves everything. Everything was created by him and for him. And so we are truest to the fulfillment of what we were created for when we worship our creator. I mean, there is something, an element to worship, and, and we tend to, to maybe associate worship with, with song, right? I mean, but worship is so much more than that. That is a beautiful expression. M music and song is a powerful means through which worship is expressed. Don't, I don't want to diminish that in any way. But I do want to say that worship is so much more than a song. It is a heart and a life of expression of adoration and love unto our King. And that worship can fill our days and our lives in every arena of life. So whether we're working or whether we're resting, do you know, I, I told this to somebody, that you know that rest can be a form of worship? And, and I said that when I take a nap, I actually confess, Lord, thank you that even while I rest, you're at work on my behalf. So there's this release of that. I, I don't have to carry all these anxieties and stresses of the things that I feel like I need to accomplish, that I can take a moment and stop striving and believe that God's at work still. And he invites us to build that into our lives as a rhythm. I mean, that's why the Sabbath was created, so that we could know that, like, God is at work, even when he never sleeps, he never slumbers. He's at work on your behalf to accomplish his purposes for you, even when you're doing nothing. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? And then I told that to somebody, she's like, I'm going to get my worship on tonight, and I'm going to sleep really well. <laughs> but do you see how worship is to be pervasive through every arena of our lives? That if I do my work unto Christ, it is worship. 
If I rest unto Christ, it is worship. If I serve my brother or my sister unto Christ, it is worship. If I preach a sermon unto Christ, it is worship. So we're not limited into a song. Worship is a life. And in every arena that we yield those, whatever it is, to him, is praise unto his name. Because what is the goal? The goal is that his name would be honored. So in every arena of life, may I partner with the Holy Spirit to glorify the name of Jesus in that arena. So, I mean, even like recently we had spirit art. Can, can you create art as a form of worship? 100%. Like somebody can make a, 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 a painting and it can be a form of worship because you're extending your heart as a, an expression of creativity of God's goodness and his, his nature. And, and that's very, very freeing and liberating to know that I can, you know, where we get off is if like, let's say it becomes about me. Like if I, I was playing soccer and um, throughout high school and I, I had some health issues with my, my heart and my heart would race at 300 beats a minute. And there, there became a reprioritization in my life at that moment because I started to begin to ask, Lord, what do you want? Because for me, soccer was about my reputation. It was about my, me being good enough. It was about me, my performance. It was about, it was about me. And I had a whole shift when I was removed from the soccer field and had to take a break. And I was like, what really has eternal purpose and what matters that will last? And I, you have to believe as a senior, I, I decided not to play soccer because I had a whole change of perspective of like what really matters and what, what will last. Can I do soccer under the glory of God? Absolutely. I mean, I see David Carr give testimony of God's faithfulness and that I'm, I, I, the wrestling gift I have is to glorify God. Is he glorifying God with the gift that he has? Absolutely. And when you have that perspective, you can do something with great purpose for his glory rather than for my reputation or for my fame, right? So as we look at this scripture, you know, there was a, a the woman at the well had a limited perspective on worship. It was a, a formality of a place. Like I go unto this hill to worship God. When, when Jesus was giving her the commission that worship is, yeah, Worship is not limited. It is uh, to be your whole life. I wanted to finish, we're going to get ready to close because I'd like us to, to finish with, with worshiping with understanding. You know, we should do everything with understanding. And one of the things I've come to grow to learn is God doesn't expect us to know what we don't know. He wants us to love as much as we know of ourselves to love as much as we know about him. So love with as much as we know of ourselves to love as much as we know of him. And of course, that's a process and that's a growth because we're continuing to grow in understanding about who we are and we're growing in understanding of who he is. But as much as we know about him, we want to worship him with much, as much as we know of ourselves. 
And that's part of the continual growth in, in surrender and yielding and, and releasing to him. But it, it, I remember th there was a time after I graduated from college, I began to go to Fuller Seminary in Seattle. And I was not in a good place spiritually. I was really in a, um, I was really, even though I was saved, I, I felt lost. Have you ever been there? And I remember just crying out to God. I actually, there's this place called Gasworks Park. It, it's on the west side and it overlooks the, it's got a beautiful view of Seattle downtown and it just kind of sits there. And the, I remember leaving Greek class and I was just distraught. I was just like, what am I doing? Why am I, maybe Greek does that to you, I don't know. <laughs> but I just felt like I had no sense of direction and I felt like I was just going through the motions. I felt lifeless, honestly. And, um, you know, so many of my friends, and, and it didn't help that I was comparing myself with others because I had just graduated from college. My first job out of, and you can celebrate with me, my first job out of college was at Sam's Club for $7 an hour. <laughs> Good thing I paid so much to get this college degree. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I was just, and I started going to seminary and, and I just felt like, God, what are you doing? What am I doing? And, and I remember going off to this hillside and just sitting there on the hillside and just looking at the city. It was nighttime. And I brought my journal and I just began to write. And it became a, a place of, of just surrender. It was, God, I need you right now. I need direction, I need a sense of purpose, I need, I need you to meet me here, and I recognize I'm trying to do life without you, and I don't want to do that. And because when we try to live life in any arena of a, in our life without God, in, in essence, it's the pride that I can do it on my own. And when we come to the place of surrender that says, God, I don't want to do anything separate from you. There's a release that he invades that space of vulnerability and that space of surrender. And he meets us in our point of need. And what proceeded from that was all the answers that I was looking for. Now, did it solve everything? No, but it, it gave me a sense that God, you hear my cry, you know where I'm at, and you're working to accomplish your purpose. And if that speaks to anyone today, I pray that you would, whatever season in life you're in, if there's any area in your life that you feel is somehow detached or separate from God, to, to, to bring that to him. Somebody even wrote, that I saw the difference between religion and his relationship is I messed up, I must run from God versus I messed up, I must run to God. So relationship is running to God knowing that he is merciful, that he is kind, that he loves his children and he always wants to be a part of being the one that is our savior, our healer, our deliverer. And so we can run to him not away from him. We, like Adam and Eve in the garden, when we've messed up, the one who can heal is the one who we need most. The one who will provide 
is the one we need most. And if we run in hiding and in shame, we're disconnected from the lover of our souls. And he's wanting us to run to him because he loves us so much. And that, there was this one other section I wanted to, to share with you. It says, such an approach in worship becomes honest and humble, yet joyous and hopeful. Acknowledgement of this, God's great love for us verified in his son Jesus, number one. Number two, God's great forgiveness ensuring acceptance before him. Number three, God's great purpose in us, establishing worth and dignity. And number four, God's great promise to us, giving confidence for tomorrow. So that is reason to worship. If we know that the God of eternity loves us, forgives us, gives us purpose and promise, he's worthy of worship. He's the author of your life. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you with great purpose. You weren't an accident. He, 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 he created you intentionally. And, and he did so because he had great joy over your life when he created you. And because of that, your greatest fulfillment is in him and running to him. Amen? Let us worship together as we close.